The title of my sermon this morning is Embrace the Gospel. Embrace the Gospel. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the message of Jesus Christ and the teachings found in the Word of God can have a powerful effect on anybody, no matter where they are. I think a beautiful example of this is the story of the mutiny on the bounty. If you ever saw the movie, that's kind of where I'm getting it from, but the Mel Gibson, uh, who, um, Anthony Hopkins, they were in the movie, I forgot the name of it, but it was about this mutiny on the ship, the bounty. The bounty was a British ship that, while sailing in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on April 28th of 1789, was overtaken by its crew near the island of Tahiti. After their rebellion, nine mutineers, along with the Tahitian men and women who were with them, found their way to the small Pitcan Pit Pit Island, which is nothing more than a dot in the Pacific Ocean, about two miles long and a mile wide. So a small little island these people found their way um, to after this mutiny. Ten years of heavy drinking and fighting went by, which ended up ending in only one of the men still living uh, ten years later, a man by the name of John Adams. The rest of the island's population was comprised of 11 women and 23 children. This is the part of the story where most of the, the famous book and the motion picture ends. It doesn't get into the details of what happens next, but it is what happens next that I found most impactful. It was about this time that Adams found the ship's Bible in the bottom of a chest and began to read it. As he was reading it, he was truly inspired by the very words of God found within it. This drunken murderer accepted the amazing message of the gospel, which was found within that Bible. And, of course, he became a changed man. His changed life rubbed off on the women and children that were on the island as well. He began teaching the kids from God's Word until everyone on that island was saved. Every last person that was with him was saved. And today, the population of this island is slightly less than 100 people. And nearly every person on the island calls themselves a Christian. All because of this man's life and the change that took place. Philip Brooks was an Episcopal clergyman, an author in the United States in the mid to late 1800s. Now, of course, you might be saying, who the heck is that? Well, we sang his song earlier. He wrote the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He also had this to say, which I thought was powerful. He said, the Bible is like a telescope. If a man looks through his telescope, he sees worlds beyond. But if he looks at his telescope, he does not see anything but that, but the telescope. The Bible is a thing to be looked through to see that which is beyond, but most people only look at it, and so they see only the dead letter. The Word of God needs to be looked at as an inspired writing. This book has meaning today just like it had meaning you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago. The Word of God is amazing, and it's a very powerful thing. The most important piece of God's Word is the gospel message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That is the central point of all of it. You might say the Old Testament doesn't talk about Jesus. Well, guess what? It does. It all points towards the Messiah, and it was the message of the Messiah, the salvation that came from the Messiah. That was the reason this entire book was written, and this entire book was comprised and put together. This morning, I want to point out, and I want to look at four possible reactions that people have to the Word of God, and more specifically to the gospel message. But before we do, let's take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done for us. 
Bless us now as we enter your word. Allow me to say only what you want me to say. Allow me to be led by your spirit and allow me to declare just what you have for us today. Allow us to comprehend the meaning of this parable, the sower and the seed. And we just ask that you bless us now as we enter your word again. In your name, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. If you don't, look under your seat. You might find one or right in front of you. You might find one right in front of you. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verse 4 to 15 today. For the past eight months or so since I've been here, just after I got here, we started going through the gospel according to Luke. Today we're going to look at what I would call one of the more famous parables of Jesus, that of the parable of the sower and the seed. So let's look at the text. I'm going to read through the entire text right right off the bat, um, Luke chapter 8, verse 4 down to verse 15. 4 to 15. This is what uh, Luke, recording the words of Jesus. When a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture." Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said, as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then verse 9, his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. Verse 13 Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bearing no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. So let's start right off. Look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4 is Jesus is, uh, the, Luke introduces the scenario. Jesus had the perfect time to preach this sermon, this, this parable, give this, this story. The, the, the large crowds were coming together from all over the area. They were journeying to him. So he waited for the proper time to present this information. So now let me give you some details here. Well, first of all, what is a parable? A parable is a short story embodying a message by means of comparison. So essentially, what a parable is, is a story to illustrate something. Earlier today, right, earlier in my sermon, I gave you the story of the mutiny on the bounty in order, and the mutiny on the bounty, in order to illustrate my point that the Word of God is alive and active. 
to make the point that the Word of God is a powerful thing. In this John Adams um, coming to know the Lord, that was the point of me telling you that. That was the only point of me telling you that. If I didn't tie it into that, it wouldn't be much of a parallel. It would not be a parable. It would not be paralleling the, the, the point I'm trying to bring out of the Word of God. Why did Jesus teach in parables? Why didn't he just speak frankly with them? In verse 8, we read that Christ emphasized the importance of paying attention to this parable by calling out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, as the Lord said these things. So as he was saying these things, he was telling them, hey, pay attention. If you have the ears to hear, hear what I have to say. Jesus was emphasizing that true followers, his true followers, would understand what he was saying, while those who were not his followers just would not. And interestingly, again, the disciples needed explanation too. This isn't saying that somehow there were people that understood everything and others did not. There was a group of people that didn't understand, some of which included those disciples. Now this is clear in the fact that many people have read through the entire Word of God cover to cover. I don't know if you realize this. There are people that have read this book cover to cover. There are people who would call themselves theologians. They do not believe anything this book says. So just because you read this book, just because you listen to me preach, just because you might listen to Christian music or you, you, you listen to other people preach or whatever it is, does not mean that you have salvation, does not mean that you believe. There's a whole different process going on there, and that is really exactly what we're talking about today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, oh, I should have clicked earlier. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually apprised. So someone who does not have God within them, God the Holy Spirit within them, is not going to understand what this book says. That's why I always ask that God allows his spirit um, to, to cause me to speak exactly what he wants me to say. Because on my own, all I'm doing is reading words and telling you things. It's through the Spirit of God that I am able to, to better ex expositor, or whatever, I don't even know if it's the right word, it might be able to express what this is saying, be able to tell you, to expose the text the way we're supposed to expose it. Now let's take a look at the three different elements or components of this parable, the sower, the seed, and the soil. The seed, as Jesus says, is the Word of God. The application of those listening to Jesus was that it was his literal words, the literal words coming out of God's mouth, God the Son. It would also have been understood as the Old Testament word of God as well. In Luke chapter 8, verse 1, from my text last week, Tabitha read it a little bit earlier, Jesus was going from place to place, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. I told you last week that the message of Jesus was the kingdom of God. And his message was incomplete. It wasn't, hadn't come to fulfillment yet. It was not going to be completed until he died and rose again. Today, Christians have the full understanding of Jesus' message, and we call this message the gospel. The gospel. Christ died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and rose from the grave so we can go to heaven when we die. If you believe that in your heart and confess that with your mouth, you are saved. Bottom line. So the application for Christians today is that the, the, the seed here represents the gospel message, the, the specific message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in order to save us from our sins. Now, kind of a contextual, uh, kind of something that's redirecting my entire thought here. Uh, farmers would scatter the seed. So if, they were, if you were ever, uh, the best example I have of this is uh, earlier this summer, there was a big portion of my lawn that did not have any grass on it. So I cleaned up the grass, I dug up the ground a little bit, and I cleaned up all the debris, all the junk, and I, I, I rototilled it, 
And then I threw seed. I cast it. I put some seed in my hand, and I just kind of spread it over the lawn. And I threw it everywhere because, you know, who am I to you know, be so particular? I'd be there all day if I was being particular. That's essentially what would take place in the context of the parable. The sower would just send it out everywhere, and it would just scatter wherever it goes. Which leads me to the next part. We have the sower. Who is the sower in this, in this parable? Initially, I believe it was Jesus and his followers, specifically Jesus and his followers, from the context that we were looking at in, in the New Testament, in Jesus' time, according to Luke's um, recollection of all of this. The sower would have been Jesus and his followers. But in our world today, the sower has changed a little bit. We Christians are the sowers. We are the ones presenting the Word of God and more specifically presenting the gospel message to other people. So you are the sower in this parable, and the seed again is the gospel message. Now what is the soil? The soil represents different reactions that people have when someone tells them about Christ, about the gospel, or about the Word of God, which I interpret as meaning the ways of God. We have the message of Jesus' death and resurrection to forgive us of our sins and to send us to heaven. And then we have the message within the Word of God teaching us how to live for the Lord. The only question is, how are you going to respond? And today, that's really what we're focusing on. Each of these different types of soils would have been found in your typical, typical field. So as we look at these, and he compares the soil type to individuals' reactions to him, we'll have a better understanding of what he's getting at. So here's what I want to focus on. Each of these soil types that Jesus listed can be compared to the responses that people give when being presented with the gospel message of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. So my question for you to dwell upon is how will you respond to the gospel message, or maybe how have you responded to the gospel message? So like I said, four different soil types, four different responses. The first type of people are those who reject Christ because of the devil. Those who reject Christ because of the devil. If you have your bulletin, there are blanks in there. Fill in those blanks and use this as an evangelism tool. Give it to your neighbor or someone and say, hey, my pastor preached on this and it reminded me of you. Look at verse 5 and 12. I'm going to reread the two verses that tie into this section. So again, these individuals are those who reject Christ because of the devil. Verse 5 says, The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And then verse 12, Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. So, the seed that was scattered on a pathway or road, if you can envision, so we, we don't have this example, is not as good, but if you went hiking on a trail out in the woods somewhere, on a trail that was highly used, that trail was trampled down pretty solidly. If you were going to try to just put a seed on that, that trail, on that hardened ground because of the foot traffic, it just wouldn't catch, it wouldn't grow. It, it, would, not may, it would not root into the soil. As a result, the people that are already walking on that path are going to step on the seed, and then the birds are going to come and eat the seed. It's, there's just no chance, there's no hope in this situation. I would describe this group of people, that, that, again, the parable, so that, that's, the, that's the parable, you know, now we're looking at the meaning. This group is made up of those who hear but do not believe at all because of the work of the devil. They hear what the gospel message is, but they reject it right from the beginning. The example I find here is the religious leaders of Jesus' this time, the Pharisees, that just want nothing to do with who Jesus was even though he was the long-awaited Messiah. If they took a moment to look at who he was, they might see something completely different. 
In our world today, there are tons of people who, who would not even allow a Christian to present the gospel to them, let alone um, to be receptive of listening to the story at all, listening to the message. Their hearts are hardened like the soil that the seed landed on, and as a result, the gospel message is rejected before it is presented. It is rejected before it is presented. A biblical example of this is Pharaoh and the Israelites. If you think about Pharaoh back when the Moses, God tells Moses, go get my people out of Egypt, and you know, I'm, I, I made you, I appointed you to let my people go. So he goes and he tells Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. Pharaoh constantly says no. And then eventually Pharaoh's heart changes and he says, okay, I'll let him go, but then he changes his mind. And then this is what uh, Moses wrote, or the, again, the author of Exodus wrote, um, Exodus chapter 9, verse 12, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not listen to him, listen to them, to Moses, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. God knew this was going to happen. Pharaoh didn't want to hear anything that God had to say. Pharaoh just did what he, what he wanted to do. And the point is, there are people out there that are like that. Don't be like these people. Don't be like the religious leaders of Jesus' time or this Egyptian. Hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ and embrace it. The second type of people are those who reject Christ because of the hardships that come along with following him. Those who reject Christ because of the hardships that come along with following him. Look at verse 6 and then verse 13 of your text. Verse 6 says, The other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away, and it withered away because it had no moisture. Then verse 13 those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of tribulation or temptation, uh, they fall away. So some seed fell on rock with a thin layer of dirt on top of it. it kind of, you can maybe describe it as bedrock. I kind of think of that path that we were talking about before. Imagine if a thin layer of dirt's upon it. The seed will start to grow, but once it hits the rock, there's no hope. It's not going to continue to grow. There's just no way. It needs moisture. There is no moisture. The second group of people listened to the gospel message and initially responded to that message with joy. But when times got hard, when things got difficult, they ran away from Christ because they were never rooted in him in the first place. The fact that they believed for a while but fall away means that they only accept the facts of the word mentally and then reject it when the going gets tough. It does not mean that they lose their salvation, for they had none to lose. The very important principle there. I'm not at all saying that this is saying someone could lose their salvation. This individual, the person who looks good for a while, then runs off, I question whether there was salvation there in the first place. And I think we should, because you really don't know. And if we don't question it, what happens if, if, if that salvation was never genuine in the first place? What happens if our loved one, who might have looked good and then ran off, if them running off is just a sign that they never had it in their heart in the first place? And as a result, you not presenting the gospel to them again, all that's doing is risking their eternal soul. It's risking the fact that they might not know Jesus. And as a result, we don't want to know what happens next. You know, we want more than that. So we need to present the gospel. Even when you think they're, they, oh, they've been saved. If they don't look like they've been saved, they're not saved. You know what? I don't know if uh, oh, my thing is bothering me now. This, this little thing is a little new here. But if I went to go to an apple orchard and I started picking the apples, but they all looked rotten, they looked disgusting, there's no way I'm going to eat one of those apples. The same is true of Christians. If the fruit isn't there, we need to look a little bit deeper and try to figure out what's going on. 
right? If an apple tree has a bunch of fruit that's dying, would not the, I don't know, the farmer, I don't know who takes care of an apple orchard, that person, would not that person go out and, and do what they have to do to fix the problem? Put different fertilizer down. Make sure there's no, what, what, the pesticides and stuff like that. Do whatever it takes to make sure those apples are growing well. As Christians, we need to do the same thing. When we look at a fellow Christian, either a loved one, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, whatever, a fellow Christian within our church, we need to look upon them, and if their fruit is rotten, we might need to point that out to them, or we might need to fix that. We might need to do whatever it takes to help that person out. I mean, don't start making accusations towards other people. Look at them and start doing what you've got to do to help them. I mean, in the end of it, you might be the only person to do it. Figure out what you need to do. has to be something, because if not, the food's going to rot and the tree's going to die, and we don't want the tree to die. So at some point during his ministry, Jesus' message or preaching began to focus on hardships that were going to be faced by his followers uh, one day. This message offended some, and John tells us in John chapter 6, verse 66, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So when Jesus' message went from all you know, lovey-dovey to being a little bit more difficult, the people fled. And they said, oh, I'm good. You know, when, when, when Jesus challenged them to change who they were and to better dedicate themselves to God, when Jesus said, hey, I mean, this is me talking from a hypothetical perspective here, hey, you should be in church more frequently, or hey, you know, read your Bible daily. These people decided instead of coming to church more frequently, instead of reading their Bible, instead of praying, they decided to run off and say, I'm okay. I'm good. I'd rather not do that. These are pe- there are people throughout our world today people that enter into our fellowship of of believers, our our church and other churches, and they start off well. These individuals seem excited and ready to learn about Christ, but then when tribulations or hardships come up in their lives, they run the other way. And sadly, the only way to describe these people are fake Christians, false Christians. And and I'm not trying to make light of it, but I'm trying to make a a serious point in the fact that if they're fake Christians, meaning they're non-Christians, That's the point. It has nothing to do with how we feel about them. But if they're not living for God, I question whether there's God in them in the first place and we need to do something about it. And the same urgency that we might have to someone who does not believe in Jesus, we need to have that same urgency towards those people who aren't living for Jesus. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Don't be like these people. Don't reject Jesus and his gospel when things get hard. Hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ and embrace it. The third type of people, the third type of people are those who reject Christ because they refuse to give up their lives, to give up everything to give up the things of this world for him. They refuse to give up the material possessions. Look at verse 7 and 14. Verse 7 and 14. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And then verse 14, 
the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bearing and bring no fruit to maturity. So last, the second point there, the number two was rotten fruit. This one is just no fruit at all. Some seed fell on, on the soil that was also home to thorns and weeds. This, just like any garden, right? You're not going to have a very good garden if you don't weed it. You need to get rid of the weeds. So seed that fell amongst the weedy grass and, the, 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 and, and with the thorns is just not going to be able to grow. It's going to be choked out and it's going to die. This third group of people are those who listen to the gospel message, appear to be living in it, but in reality, never mature in their walk with Christ. These may be those who are interested in Jesus' message but cannot accept it because of their devotion to material things, life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Immediately what came to mind was the rich young ruler from Matthew chapter 19. Turn to me there for a second. Keep your finger here. Go to Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 22. Matthew 19, verse 16 to 22. And let's read about this rich young ruler who had a hard time giving up everything to follow Jesus as well. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But, the, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. When Jesus asked this man to give up everything to follow him, he was unable to do so because he had a lot to give up. This ruler was interested in the ways of Christ, but not willing to give up everything to follow Christ. Today we see this all the time. You can't look around. I mean, especially these last couple of days, honestly, I had a guy complain about Black Friday, and it's amazing how quickly we go out and spend money we don't have, you know, just because there's a sale on a 75-inch TV or something like that, you know. I'm not against 75-inch TV, but if your room that you're in doesn't hold, doesn't fit a 75-inch TV, you might want to think through that a little bit more. The point, though, is too many people refuse to come to Christ because they do not want to give up their old sinful ways in exchange for the grace of Christ. They do not want to give up the pleasures of this world in order to follow Jesus. What are you committed to? Is Jesus number one in, this world, in your life, or are you committed more to the ways of this world? Matthew chapter 16 Verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do not be like these people. Don't cling to sin in this world instead of to Jesus. Hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ and embrace it. Let's look at this final group. The fourth and final type of people are those... There we go. Those who become true followers of Christ. Those who become true followers of Christ. Look at verse 8, the first half of verse 8, then verse 15. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And then verse 15. 
But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. The only seed, uh, the, only the seed that lands on good, good ground is going to grow. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you're going to have a garden, it's a bat. You can't have a garden on where the ground is all hardened and, and it, you know, there's no way that that seed's going to catch. You know, you can't have a garden where there's a bunch of weeds. You know, you, you need the perfect conditions to plant a good garden. And I've never had that because I've never planted a good garden. The point I'm getting at here is a Christian that is, the person that has that seed implanted in them is going to grow. There's going to be evidence of it. Uh, Look at the illustration that Jesus said. That seed grew to a hundred times what was sown or planted. Meaning the, the, the seeds that went off everywhere else were almost worth that sower. I'm sowing them that way. If he was so particular, he'd be there all day and said he threw them everywhere. And the seeds that caught made up for the seeds that did not catch. This fourth group of people include those who not only listen to the gospel message, but also retain it in their hearts. As a result of it being within them, within their souls, they produce good fruit, the evidence of their salvation. Unlike the other three groups, this group had a true change take place in their life. Change had happened. The best example I can find from Jesus' time was his disciples and the women that we heard about last week in that tab of the read about in verses 1 to 3. They're great examples of people who had given up everything to follow Christ. You see, true followers of Jesus are those people committed to the cause of Christ. No matter what takes place, no matter what circumstances they find themselves in, they face many difficulties and are often opposed for their radical Christian beliefs. But not only by not only non-Christians, but also Christians alike. People look at us and they say, why? Why are you so dedicated? Why are you this? Why are you that? These are people who are committed to God and thus committed to their church. They are in it for the long haul, no matter what that cost may be. After many of his followers left him, we read earlier, um, after John chapter 6, verse 66, after many of his followers left him, uh, when following his message got hard, Jesus turned and spoke to the twelve. He said in, in John chapter 6, verse 37 to 36, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him one of the times that Simon, you know, he, he was back and forth all the time. But this is an amazing statement. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And isn't that the truth? Where else could we go? Where else would we want to go? There's nowhere else to go than turning to Jesus Christ. So my prayer for you is that your response to Christ will be the same as that of Jesus' disciples. Embrace Him today and don't reject Him. Let's close up. So where do you stand? Which one of these groups do you feel like you line up in? Do you reject the gospel immediately? Do you hear the gospel message and rejoice, but then reject it when the going gets tough? Do you reject the gospel message of Jesus Christ because you are not willing to give up everything to follow him, meaning not willing to give up the treasures of this world? Or do you embrace it and make it your own? As John tells us in the beginning of his gospel, he says in in John chapter 1, verse 19 to 13, There was the true light which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, meaning Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, 
who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is where I hope you stand today. I hope you stand as a child of God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every last one of us. There's not a single person that is not Jesus that's walked on the face of this earth. Because, you know, it's tough there. There's not a single person who's ever walked on the face of this earth that is not also God that has never sinned. Every last one of us are sinful. Every last one of us have made mistakes. And those mistakes are called sin. And as a result, those sins separate us from God. And then in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it begins, For the wages of sin is death. Meaning, the payment that needs to be made for the sins we committed is death. The penalty that needs to be made for our sins is death. We have been sentenced to death. If we left it there, we'd all be in trouble. But it's not left there, because Paul continues in Romans 6, 23. says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a God who loved us so much that He came to this earth in the form of Jesus lived the perfect life without ever sinning, and died on the cross, freeing us of our sins, offering us forgiveness, and then rose from the grave so that one day we can go to heaven when we die. One of my favorite verses is Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, But God demonstrates His own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of your sinfulness, Jesus died for you. Right when you needed Him the most, He died for you. All you got to do is turn to Him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And I might have paraphrased verse 10. But that's the truth of it. If you believe in your heart that He died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and rose from the grave so you can go to heaven when you die, and confess that belief outwardly through your mouth, through what you do, what you say, and what you preach, you will be saved. Meaning, believe it in your heart and live it with your life. If you believe it in your heart and live it with your life, you'll be saved. Bottom line, there's no other way around it. That's the only way that you can be sure that you're a child of God. That's the only way that you can know that the fruit within you is going to be perfect. It's going to, you're going to bear good fruit in keeping with repentance. Embrace Jesus today and become a child of God. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all the things you've done for us. I ask that you just allow us to remember you in all that we do. Allow us to know that you are an awesome God that has such a perfect plan for our lives. And help us know that without you, nothing else matters. And we can put our full trust in you and you alone. Lord, in your name, amen.